uh, breaking a hundred pod height record this this week. Welcome to episode one hundred and twenty. This is officially the, the highest episode of Handapod ever recorded. Australian Dan's old flat was on the 13th floor of his building. Santiago was beaten him by one floor. We're on oh, the 14th I, I floor. thought you were talking about illegal, illegal drugs, but no, 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 no it's actual height. <laughs> no. Burnett is the only drug involved in Handapod recording, as, as we all know. Uh, you've already heard Santiago's voice. We're sitting in his lovely new living room. Hello, everyone. Um, we're also joined this week by German, Swiss, Chinese, relevant Dan. Guten Abend. Uh, I still have to explain the relevance. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know the relevance myself. I, yes, I, I started using yeah. your Twitter handle to tell people when you were going to be on Hand of Pod, and we got a question from regular listener Tom Beck when mm-hmm. I first started doing it, saying, "Is that Twitter account in any way relevant? Because you've used it about once in the last two years." Yeah, something like that. I don't, I don't really know what Twitter does. You know, I know it exists, but I've uh, you know. <laughs> so from uh, now on, you're relevant. I'm waiting. Now. I'm waiting for one of my children to tell me. <laughs> Um, and the man who you can hear laughing is, is a Handapod debutante, um, author of a, a very good, um, interesting preview of this weekend's Rosario Clásico in the New York Times. Welcome, Jonathan Gilbert. Hello, everybody. Do you prefer Jonathan or John? Jonathan or John, both will do. Super, excellent. We'll see how we are, how, how consistent we managed to be later in the episode when we've had another couple of furnace. Um Lots to talk about this week. First of all, uh, in terms of the, the attention um, that it's likely to get in terms of people actually wanting to listen to the podcast for a change, um, it probably makes sense to start off with the Argentine national team because they've played a couple of times since we last recorded. Um, they had already qualified for the World Cup. They, first of all, uh, beat Peru in a fairly standard sort of 3-1 home win um, in the Monumental last Friday. And then on Tuesday night in a match that they, in my opinion, just didn't give a crap about really is anyone going to disagree um, they lost 3-2 away to Uruguay who of course needed a win followed by a heavy win for, for Chile or Ecuador in order to get out of the playoff spot and didn't quite manage to do that uh, what did you make of it guys? I mean I thought I, mean, I, I would disagree in that they didn't, you know, the fact they didn't give a crap about the game I thought there were a lot of second string players obviously out to prove themselves you know to hopefully make it into the into the first team so they dip a lot of effort into it so, but simply they were the second string players and I must say halfway through the but game I, I would, I'm yeah. pretty sure they didn't give a crap about defending that free kick for Uruguay's opener quite possibly quite possibly but they, they, they certainly put some effort into it and it's Uruguay you know of course yeah. you know it's a rivalry a strong rivalry um, I remember thinking halfway through the game having watched the England play earlier on in the afternoon this team looks a lot like England uh, the way they were playing in so many ways mispassing the ball bad passing uh, very few ideas about where they wanted to go what they were trying to do very little in the way of initiative or anything imaginative it didn't look like the Argentina we had seen a few days earlier against well, this Peru is why I, I don't think that they cared that much I mean there, there were some some of the second string players who you uh, who you mentioned were talking about players like Basanta uh, Sebastián Dominguez maybe in defence um, one of the midfielders whose name's yeah, Leandro Somosa, who, who certainly isn't going to be anywhere near the World Cup squad. These are not players who, who are expecting to go to Brazil. Um, 
and all yeah. that. Also, the, if they got suspended, the suspension would carry on to the World Cup, so that's the reason why you don't want to risk a red card for a player who's... Yeah, and, and yeah I think when, yeah, when, 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 when they've already qualified. If Sam says they didn't care, does Sabella really care about it? <laughs> no, no, I'd agree. Probably not. You want to try experiment? Sabella wants to try out maybe a couple of, of, yeah. of ideas. Mm. One thing that uh, a lot of people were, were pointing out on Twitter after the game was that every time Argentina were on the attack, Sabella was completely ignoring. He, he wasn't looking at that end of the pitch. He was looking towards his own defence. Um, to make sure that they weren't doing anything stupid or, or to make sure they were still paying attention, I would guess. Um, and one notable thing that the TV cameras, at least the, the Teisei TV cameras, uh, which is the channel that I was watching on to avoid the awful football paradox commentary, um, were, it, it did, did focus in on was that after Ebe Ban... I'm going to have to try and start that again. After Ebe Banega um, was substituted off, Sabena then sort of waved him over and took him up to the touchline and was while the game was going on was pointing and, and saying and this is I mean obviously we don't know what was being said they didn't have microphones but it looked very much like he was giving him some indications because Banega hadn't had the best of matches um, I was quite impressed by that uh, but yeah I mean Sabella obviously knew that it was uh, a not particularly vital match but don't you think Maxi Rodriguez got his Brazil ticket with I this match? Know. I think so yeah. I think that was the you particularly know. given the form he's in for Newell's this is now yeah. Yeah. six Six matches for club and country that he scored in, in a row. Oh, apart from the, the Peru match, but he only came on for the last 10 or 15 minutes now. Mm-hmm. And I think Sevilla would have been looking, if anything, or used the game as a way of messing around with his defence a little bit, just to mm-hmm. kind of improve that defence. And if anything, it confirmed that, yes, more work needs to be done in defence. You know, Argentina are struggling in, in many ways. You know, and even the Peru game showed that to some extent. Yeah. So, OK, they yeah. won the game, but, and Peru are not a great side, but they, on occasion they made Argent- the Argentinian defence look like it was all over the place yeah. and really didn't have a clue where they were at. So, one one uh, encouraging thing is that we haven't had any mistakes from Sergio Romero during this two games, none yeah. of the four goals he conceded could reasonably be said to be his fault, mm. particularly not Peru's goal, which was magnificent mm. from um, yeah. uh, Guerrero, wasn't it? Have I got no. that right? I completely forgot. The, the, the big striker, the guy who plays Bayern. Um, Guerrero, yeah. 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 It is Guerrero, yes, good. Uh, fantastic lob, and then Uruguay's three goals, one of which came from a penalty that was just so Luis Suarez that it almost yeah. hurt. It, it was hilarious. Um, i.e. a penalty that shouldn't have been given for, for the benefit of, of those who are wondering what I mean by that. I, I mean, I, I agree with you that Romero was not at fault for that goal, but much of the Argentine press, some of the press that I were reading, were blaming him for everything. They yeah. seemed to have it in for Romero. I think this so, is why it's important, because yeah. against Paraguay, for instance, he definitely was at fault for their first goal. The second, I have to admit that I can't remember, um, but uh, I, I remember at the time a lot of people being very critical of him after that match. And of course, he's not playing much for Monica. Mm, that's um, the point. So yeah. the, you know, he's clearly in the team because of his part in the group, the part that he plays mm. in the group dynamic as much as anything. Um, and so it's nice to, to, to have seen him have a couple of matches just solidly and getting a bit more confidence about maybe. For fear of going off at a tangent. Um, we, we never do this on Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I actually saw more of Germany against Sweden than I did Uruguay against Argentina. And uh, I know they conceded three goals, but they are scarily good, Germany. Mm. Uh, for fear of using a cliche as well, the crispness of the passing, uh, they're really good. And I just thought, you know, they beat England, they beat Argentina in the last World Cup. and uh, they put Argentina out the last two World Cups, haven't yeah. Right, and that, like, yep. and twice. That sort of That sort of the standard you have to um, you have to aspire to. I feel. Indeed, yeah, I entirely agree. And of course, the the defence is, is although as you say they consider three goals, the defence is a big 
difference there. Argentina, I'm sure we'd all agree, have got a terrifying attack when everybody is fit. Yeah. Um, when all the main players is, is yeah. fit. Um, but you do get the, the sense that if they can sort the defence out, it would just give the attack in the midfield yeah. that little bit more leeway and a little bit more. Confidence. Have they not got the defenders, or is it a case of strategy? You know, um, I mean, I think they've got some good defenders. Got got they, they haven't got them organised. They haven't got the right combination of defenders. Federico Fernandez is, is I, I like him a lot mm. because he's fine. He didn't have the best of games against Uruguay, um, but but I, I do like him. Um, the others, the, the, I think the problem is that a lot of the backup defenders so they're having to rely on quite a lot because for whatever reason they never seem to have an entirely fit mm. back four at once um, are not the youngest of, of people so pace can sometimes get to be a problem a lot of the, the backup defenders are in the, into their 30s um, it, it's, a, it's a puzzling one mm. and but when you go back to the, the I think the, the real game there was a Peru match the Uruguay game was I think out of 11 players 10 were substitutes from the normal Argentina team whereas the Peru game was more of a Real Argentina game yeah, without, without Messi though. Banega, I would say, was well, and Romero, of course, the Romero would be the only one nailed on starters. Yeah, but uh, Banega, I think Gago and Machinano have got that's a true. Yeah, you're right, actually, if Gago was I think every now and then it's useful to play without Messi because you can obviously that's come to rely on him too much, and there will be games where Messi is not fit. He might have yellow cards, yeah, red yeah. cards. He might, you know, he might be injured. So I think mm-hmm. the Argentina national team has to learn to play without yeah. Messi and win games without Messi. Yeah, and I think yeah. against Peru, they they showed they can do that. They did it before with against Italy, and now they did it against again. They did it once again against Peru, and mm-hmm. the the offense was just. I mean, it looked like a friendly at the second half. Um, it was very like. Argentina was just passing the ball around and it just seemed like the match was over at five minutes in the second half. Yeah. Has, so anybody, has anyone else heard about the, uh, the likely friendly that they've got coming up next month? Nope. And the venue for said friendly? <laughs> the venue could be anywhere, couldn't it? So, I mean, it could be Ushuaia or, you know. Supposedly, they're going to play Bosnia. All right. And they're going to play them in St. Louis in the United States. All right. Well, a few years ago, we would have laughed about Bosnia, but I think Bosnia could be a good test now. It's more Argentina versus Bosnia in St. Louis. In St. Louis, yeah. Which I do realise is one of the hotbeds of soccer in the US, but it's still a little bit weird that those two sides are playing um, in, in that particular place rather yeah. I mean not even in New York let's right. say or, or wherever where, where well I hate to sound cynical but I'm sure somebody's making some money out of it of course it is you're putting Messi's face up on a huge poster and just mm. saying you know $100, $100 to see Messi uh, there, there, were, there were a couple of rumours that I was getting asked about on Twitter yesterday about whether um, the FA might be lining up Argentina for a friendly at Wembley next next month and that's probably going to be no because as I say they're, they're very close to sealing this, this Bosnia um, England have got uh, Chile at Wembley next oh, month oh they have got Chile now okay. uh, well I saw it confirmed on Twitter excellent and it just brought Zombies great memories to me of uh, I used to live in Chile and I got a lot of as an Englishman here, sometimes people talk to you about the Falklands. In Chile, they talk to you about Marcelo Salas's goal in 1998, <laughs> which was a long ball by the former Newcastle, Acuna. Mm. And Salas, he, he brings it down either with his chest or his knee and follows into the bottom corner. And you get a stick for that as an Englishman in Chile. They won 2 0 15 years ago at Wembley. <laughs> If only Argentines had a goal in the World Cup that they could take the piss out of English people for. Hey, I've never heard any of it. No, um, moving on, then, very briefly. Uh, I mean, very, very briefly, first of all, before we leave the national team altogether. Um, Santi, you're the only Argentine here, so I'll ask you first. How optimistic do you feel about next year? 
do you feel optimistic about next year? I do feel optimistic. I think that the defense is something that will be improved when Sabel actually gets his players and starts being an actual manager and not just like we in our in Spanish in Argentine Spanish we make a difference between a manager, a director técnico, and a seleccionador, a, mm. a manager of a national team who just kind of picks the players, gets them for a couple yeah, days, them, and so, then yeah. he he has to. Uh, let them go and when, when you're talking about offense with guys like Aguero, Messi, Di Maria you don't have a lot to teach those guys or to tell them how to you know obviously they're mixing very well but there's not too much to teach them about how to do that but when you're talking about defense and I don't I, I have to disagree that I don't think that there are many standout defenders for Argentina I think we have a couple of like regular pretty solid defenders but nothing too ex extraordinary but you have to um, have some time for them to kind of blend and understand sure. when one of them has to go forward and the other has to stay back and, you know, fine-tuning yeah. the defense. But they said exactly the same about the great Brazil team of 1970, you know, yeah. some of the best front people you've ever seen in, in, in the history of football, but a pretty, you know, average defense. But who cares about the defense? Yeah. You know, you can yeah. let in three goals, but those front guys are going to score four or five. Yeah. So, and I think Argentina uh, may be in a similar situation. I'm not sure. yeah. Yeah. It's going to maybe take some of the pressure off the defense because mm. te opposing teams are going to know, okay, they're vulnerable in defense, but we can't throw too much at the defense because we've got to keep an eye on the fact they've got arguably four of the best sort of ten forwards on the planet. Well, let's just throw my two, Penneth. I think optimism is nice, but pragmatism at World Cups wins. Italy have won how many World Cups? Five? Yeah. yeah. Pragmatic team. Germany, pragmatic team. Italy. Yeah. Dunga was a pragmatic coach, won it with Brazil. Uh, yeah, yeah. Optimism's nice. Flair play is nice, but... Israel, uh, you need to be a good team. Yeah, yeah. I think there's no doubt Argentina have the best collection of players in yeah. the world. Whether they've got the best team, we'll see. But it's certainly my tip for to win it. You know, South American kind of home territory. Um, I, I would certainly tip. You know, I would put money on Argentina to win next year's mm -hmm. World Cup. And this, this is the next question because, of course, I, I write exclusively about football uh, for for John and, and for Dan. Uh, I'm imagining it wouldn't do either of you any harm professionally if Argentina were to win it. But really. What, what would we consider at this stage with still eight months to go players can get injured players can, can have an astonishing second half of the season and suddenly force the way into Savela's thinking where, who aren't even being mentioned at the moment um, but at this stage what would seem to you to be a successful World Cup for Argentina bearing in mind they haven't been past the quarterfinals since 1990 I think a semi-final I think a semi-final would be like yeah. of course I would be very mad if we lost at the semi-finals <laughs> but, but then I'd say well, after what we've been in the last four yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree. I think yeah. a semi final would be a success, but I think they're more than capable of winning yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, less less than a semi final well, so is yeah. definitely and, failure. And I think what, what has stood against them in the last two, certainly in the 2006 World Cup, for me, they were easily the best team at that tournament. What they lacked was self belief. Mm. They came against the Germans and they lacked self confidence. Uh, they were they could, 2006, yeah. yeah. Also, Maradona was on the side. Well, 2010 didn't They're certainly not going to get beaten 4 0 by Germany as a result of putting out Javier Mascherano as the only midfielder mm. um, I doubt that that's going to happen next year with Savela managing <laughs> difficult to see anyway do you blame that on Mascherano? most people here blame it on of course not. I blame it entirely on Maradona how <laughs> on earth can you blame Mascherano? Mascherano was doing most what people he could, here blame it on Otamendi you know, most, most yeah, German goals came people, on the right because most mm -hmm. people here forget that Otamendi wasn't a right back because yeah, Maradona yeah. refused to name any full backs in his squad because he thought it was silly to have full backs yeah, yeah, 6-4 was didn't he? we had Gasset 
who was in the dream. Yes, I mean, I'm you know, Garcet, uh, <laughs> as I tell everybody who, who I, well, certainly who I took to Argentinos games last season, because of course Garcet is not with them anymore, um, but I always tell them the story about Maradona having a dream the night before he had to, the day um, on which the FIFA squad list had to be announced, and then talking to Bilardo, and Bilardo saying, if you can remember his face, that means he's a, he you had to go on. <laughs> This, this appears to have actually happened because the story came out and neither Bilardo nor Maradona have ever denied it. So you'd have to, to suggest that that's what, that's what happened. Um, moving on from the national team now, we have uh, had, as well as the international weeks, um, we've also had a, a round of matches in the Primera División um, to review because in Argentina, well, I guess one of the advantages of having Julio Grondona as your Football Association president is that you get to ignore a lot of what FIFA tend you to do. And we've had some interesting results. Mystic Sam only got two out of ten. Uh, that's poor, Mystic Sam. That's Although he was, it has to be said, robbed by a couple of slightly iffy decisions, not least of which Santiago uh, had to do with your team. Because <laughs> yeah. I can't say just it for a watch. change. Yeah. Just for a change, there's been some controversy about the refereeing in an Arsenal de Sarandi home match. Um, they played San Lorenzo. They played San Lorenzo twice since we last recorded because they won the Copa Argentina final three 0 last night, which Santi's going to tell us about in a bit in an entirely. Um, neutral manner, I'm sure. Um, but the, the really big news in terms of Arsenal's uh, versus San Lorenzo matches was the two yellow cards that San Lorenzo picked up away in Sarandi on Saturday, wasn't it? You mean red Friday. cards, right? It was on Friday night. Um, red, red cards. Two red cards, sorry, yes. Did I say yellow? How many of these have I had? Only half of one so far. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot longer to go, don't worry. Um, two, two red cards, at least one of which was a little bit questionable and it was the second Arsenal home game in a row that the opposition had had two men sent off under iffy circumstances uh, of course Arsenal being the team of the Grondonas um, Julio founded them and his nephew is it? Or, nephew. Or, yeah, nephew. his nephew is the current president isn't he? Yeah. Um, so Santi you've told me off air previously about some of the conspiracy theories about Arsenal and about how even their own fans don't necessarily believe that they um <laughs> would be where they were without a certain amount of help uh, but how did you see this? Yeah, I mean <clears throat> it's. Uh, I, I didn't watch the, the first San Lorenzo game because I was on my way to the Colosso Del Parque to see Newell's against River I was in Rosario at the time but um, yeah, I don't think any Arsenal fan is oblivious to the fact that we, we do get some, some help from the referees and you, you can never know if it's just straight out help from the referees or if it's fear from the referees that if they you yeah, know sure. if they if they blow they the whistle like against Arsenal Rondona, but they might be <coughs> very well thinking yeah yeah you know maybe you, you whistle against Arsenal and then next match before you know it you're in the second division you know you're refereeing for I don't know Villa San Carlos so it's um, it's it's a bit of a it's a you know you, you never know what's, what's what's going on in there. Mm. I do know that there are some some referees which the Arsenal fans have always said like this is our 12th player. Uh, I'm not aware of who's the referee that's doing it right now. But kind of I'm trying to imagine that happening at any other club in Argentina <laughs> when the referee comes on. They don't tend to get applauded very much. Lunati would get applauded for River, I, I reckon. Pardon? El loco Lunati. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, possibly. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But even then, but, the fans won't admit to it. The fans will still call him an hijo de puta. And <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I mean the uh, the the Copa final, for example, it was just a straight out 
win for Arsenal with no doubt and, and, whatsoever and, and, and I didn't yeah, watch the, as, the, the as 2 we've been watching, mm-hmm. as we've been watching uh, on video just before we started to record because I still haven't seen it uh, once again involved a very very questionable red card <laughs> ah, yeah. with raised eyebrows um, Ignacio Piatti who's certainly not a, a hardcore defender he's actually a rather talented attacking midfielder come forward um, he was brilliant in the with, match against Arsenal he was, on, yeah. on Sunday and I think it's fair <laughs> to say it was an a striker's challenge. <laughs> yeah. He played able. Unfortunately, it wasn't the football on the pitch. Yeah, um, definite red card. So not not much to argue with there. Uh, congratulations on your second title at national level, Santi. Oh, Arsenal. thank you. It's our fifth title in six years or so. So, so it's been. been a, what have you had? Primera, Copa Sudamericana, Suruga Bank. Very prestigious. Of course, yes, the, uh, the, the one that's played between the champions of the Copa Sudamericana and the champions of Japan. No, the champions of the Japan Cup, actually. Oh, really? Not even the league. Good yeah, of the okay. Emperor's Cup in Japan. It's very prestigious. So we now have five stars, uh, you know, in our logos, which is quite good. Um, but yeah, I can't say much about the Sunday game since I didn't watch it, but you know... I, when, when, I, when I watch it, I don't know if it's, it's my Saturday bias. Saturday. Oh, I didn't have a TV where I was. <laughs> but yeah, um, you know, when I watch Arsenal, I, I it may be my bias, of course, but I don't necessarily see, you know, a black hand like we say here in, in Argentina, a black hand helping Arsenal. But of course, I, I do know that when when the old man, when the old man time, when the old man's time comes, that's hard to say. Um, I don't know if Arsenal will still be on the Primera División for, for much longer. About two years' time, because he's going to be. Uh, he's said that he's not going to stand for re-election, and the next half elections will be. Ooh, yeah, I thought it was October, a dictatorship. 2015. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, they have elections, but there's only one list, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one candidate. Precisely. Um, <clears throat> one match that Santi did see over the weekend. Uh, in fact, the, the first, the two-one win for Arsenal um, on Saturday um, against San Lorenzo took Arsenal. Overnight, took them joint top of the, the league, level on 23 points, isn't it, with, with Newell's old boys, um, who then played River Plate in Rosario and beat them. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to leave it at that, um, hmm. because even as a River fan, there's not very much that I can say that could possibly justify uh, suggesting that River deserved a point from that. Even was was How long was the interruption in the second half? Because I got bored. 15, 15 minutes. minutes 15 it was longer than 15. It was longer than 15 was, because when there. it first happened, the referee said, we're going to give it 15 minutes for them to get the lights back on. Um, if it's not, then then we'll have to call the game off. And after those 15 minutes, he, they interviewed him again, the TV people on the pitch, and he said, I've been told um, that, that the, the generator's powering up now. So it did finish about pretty, 20 minutes. It did finish pretty late that game. Yeah, yeah. About did. midnight. It was quite yes, late. it did. And I, I, trust me, I noticed that because I hadn't had any dinner at all. Kicked oh, off me, man. I, I had no dinner and then I had to go out with 40-odd thousand fans who were also other, quite hungry. Santi <laughs> was at the game. Um, yeah. Tell us what you, you made of it, Santi. I'm imagining... From what I've seen on television, I haven't been to either Arsenal or Newell's Stadium for a game. I've been to Newell's Stadium when there have not been any uh, football matches on. Um, but certainly the atmosphere on television at Newell's yeah. looks a it little was... bit more heated than the atmosphere <laughs> is yeah. Um, yeah, it was very, very intense. It was my first time in Rosario and, um, you know, we found out that River was playing Newell's there, so we said definitely get get a couple of tickets um, if you are going then I, I do have to say I'm sorry for Newell's fans but um, I'm pretty sure that the Rosario um, stadium is a bit nicer than the 
new stadium, which looks to be like it's larger. It's, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know if it's larger in quantity of people, but it seems like the Rosario's like the new stadium. It was built like by bits and pieces. Like they built mm. first one part of it, and then they expanded, and then they built something else, and it looks like a bit of a mishmash of styles and that. But there were forty odd thousand people, screaming fans. They got this two fucking huge banners out, like covering the whole thing. And when the lights went out, they just kept chanting for out throughout the whole game. Yeah, I brother, still have this song stuck in my head. Cause my brother, was, of course, was, was with you, um, yeah. and he was very impressed. He was telling me last night. He, was, mm-hmm. he compared it favorably to the Super Classical, which he attended yeah. with me the previous weekend. Yeah, he um, said that for the, for the amount of people that were there, they, they were definitely louder than, than yeah. the regular fans. And, um, and yeah, he's, he's, he's planning on, I think, planning on heading back to Rosario this weekend to try for and get the, the Classical yeah. Rosario. Yeah. I'm insanely jealous of him. <laughs> I know, I, know. I told weeks, him, one, one, jealous of him. One thing on the new stadium, because I was there the other day, is that the platea, which is the stand along the side of the pitch, it's a very interesting shape. It's like, mm-hmm. well, no one can see what I'm doing with my hands, but <laughs> it's, it's like a, a step pyramid. A, a step shape, pyramid, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It looks like it was built just the, like the, the lower, the yeah, lower band was built first, and then they kind of built up. On top, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But the, the match itself, I mean, Cleaver never had, never had. Never got a chance of, of winning. No. I mean, Newell should have scored a couple more River goals, and I think Pesce got a penalty have. right at the very end. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it, it was such a. Even though it, it, yeah. it should have been a penalty, it was. It had been such a comprehensive performance from Newell's that even after the game, Ramon Diaz, for the first time in weeks, <laughs> didn't complain about the referee. He said, <laughs> "Finally," which I think River fans have been waiting for him to say for a long time now. He said, <clears throat> "We've got to be self-critical here. Um, yeah. it, it, it's not gone well enough." And we've been doing a lot of things wrong. And Nahuel Guzman saves a lot of penalties as well. So. Indeed, yeah, so it wouldn't have been a nailed on. Um, it wouldn't have been nailed on. Uh, goal, even if they had given it. I was impressed by the reception that Treseguet got at the Newell Stadium. Like, he's, uh, you know, he's an idol from yeah. 10 years back, and he just played like less than 15 or 10 matches with, with Newell's. As soon as he got in. Treseguet played for Newell's today. He's playing for Newell's now. Yeah, he's on he's, 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 I know he's now. Yeah, but he's been playing for 10 or 15 matches, no more than that. But he got a reception like he's Bielsa or Martino or mm. of this And he got a good major. reception from the River fans as well. Uh, there are no River fans in the city. Oh, there's no away fans. Mm-hmm. So apparently, I, I didn't see, but he, he came on literally like a minute before Newell scored the goal. Yeah, exactly. He, didn't have anything he to do came in goal. and he was a goal. Uh, it was a so free kick. He came in and... Good luck charm. Yeah. But he celebrated it. Fully, didn't he? Yeah. From, from yeah. What, well, I didn't see it on the television. Yeah, I mean, obviously, he's getting three points. The yeah. His team is going up top of the league. So uh, there's no, there wasn't a challenge him there. I mean, Newell's, all, you know, it's early in the season still. It's a long way to go. But for me, Newell's are already crowned champions That's pretty good, yeah. much, you know. Of course, uh, it's not really, it's not that early because we're over halfway through the campaign. Uh, halfway, even, even halfway. I mean, it's still, I mean, early in the sense of crowning somebody champions. Yeah. You know, in that, in that sense, being champions last just, time around. They're headed shoulders. Really is it a dynasty, the beginning of a kind of dominant team, you know, kind of Liverpool in the 70s, you know, Man United in the 90s, whatever. Is it that kind of team, you think, in Argentina? You know, are they going to dominate to that extent? I think, you know. Um, I don't think it will be, purely because Argentine football. Um, they're not going to be able to, to hold on to all of these players for very long. Clearly, Newells are doing an awful lot right at board level as well as at managerial level. Um, we, we have examples of which exactly the opposite is the case to talk about every week, and we'll be discussing Racing uh, again in a few minutes' time, obviously. Um, I would be very, very impressed if Newells managed to make it... 
it looks like they're going to make it two championships in a row, which will be the first time in, I think, almost a decade. River was the last thing we've got to back titles, yeah. in 2003-4. And they did it three times. So three, it's a three in a row with the dynasty, you know, dynasty, wouldn't it? Well, yeah. precisely, yeah, by Argentine football standards, yeah. three in a row, which is one and a half seasons at the top of the game, right. uh, constitutes a dynasty, which is this, it sounds bizarre. Even the Bielsa wasn't a dynasty, what did he win? One, two titles? No, it's one of the points that one, yeah, one, one with Bellas, one with Newells. That's yeah. it. Yeah. It's one of the points that, that Jonathan Wilson makes about Bielsa. Uh, whenever he, he comes down here, he, he finds it sort of almost admirable. It, it, Holt manager who's had a phenomenal influence of course because he's one of Guardiola's biggest influences and the biggest influences on the way Barcelona play now and, and Chile of course who are going to be one of the most attractive national sides um, at the World Cup next year um, and yet he's not really won very much in terms of trophies even though everybody says this is the way that we should be winning football matches when they, when they look at his, his sides um, if, if Newell's as I say it looks like they're going to successfully defend the title which in itself given the nature of the Argentine league would be an astonishing achievement. Um, I'd be very surprised if they can win both championships this year, uh, this season, let's say. Um, I'm I guess surprised. it's going to be interesting, yeah, be interesting yeah, seeing yeah, how it, it works it out. It depends how much power's left in, you know, Heinze, the old guy's legs, isn't it? Yeah. You know, Heinze, uh, well, yeah. Max is only great season because, of course, they, yeah. lost, they lost Ignacio Scocco. About to say, they've already shed a couple of players, they lost Scocco. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but, so you know, you when, when you see Balanta, I mean, Balanta, he's definitely very gifted and talented but and he's also he definitely not still going to be here in January of course that's the point yeah, yeah not even yeah. he's 19 now I think right. he's 20 20 and he's played less than 20 matches in River I think he's on his 20th he match played 20, he's been suspended for one and he got injured for a couple yeah. so yeah so half a season let's say half a season yeah and but he's being yeah. scouted by Barcelona sure yeah yeah. at the same time for these 18, 19, 20 year olds coming through the ranks and playing with the likes of Maxi and Heinze and all the rest of it yeah. and Gay, it must be fantastic it must lift their yeah. game to such a degree that you know they're going to be good for another you know season a couple of seasons again before they're snapped up and taken yeah. if, if yeah. they can keep up the level for about a decade then in, in 10 years time they'll have a 36 year old Lionel Messi <laughs> returning yeah. to fill that yeah. role again which yeah. I mean um Sorry, yeah, but as I said, I'll be very, very impressed if you yeah. manage to come up with anything resembling a, a dynasty. But at the same time, you, you could see it as a potentially as a springboard to go on and, and do something similar to what, say, Estudiantes uh, did earlier in the decade, and, uh, in, in the century, sorry, what Venice have been doing for the last few years, yeah. which is That's being as good as anybody else over an extended period of time, yeah. uh, which you I think is about the best that anyone can really plan Well, just being a well-run you know, club, mm-hmm. which is rare, um, I support no. Huracan, and it's just an example of... of <laughs> Foolishness and yeah. terrible management, and it seems like Lanús, Newell. Oh, Huracan got a manager, no? I don't think so. I don't we, know. We, we talked on hand pod a couple of weeks ago about how um, uh, Mohammed had all been forced out, and uh, who who was going to take over? Who'd be mad enough to take over? Because our dealer's name was mentioned, and he doesn't want to, no. to go to the club. Kappa, the Kappa doesn't want to do it. He's already ordered himself. Kappa's ordered himself. Already said no, exactly. Yeah. You, you do have to remember that before Martino came in, Newells were very compromised with relegation. Mm. Oh, yeah. Well, so a year ago. It was a year ago. I mean, the, the, it's the reason they're in the Primera now, isn't it? We said at the beginning of the the 2012-13 uh, season preview that Newells were going to need two championship challengers in order to stay up, and uh, that's what they managed. Yeah, they managed. Now, suddenly, 
Not in that. Yeah. Um, it all comes down to whether they can keep their line of play when they start losing their key players. Yeah. Of course, when someone starts playing too good in Argentinian football, even if he's near 30, he's going to get He's, he's going to get bought. Yeah. If he's young, he's going to get bought by uh, a European team. If he's closer to 30, he's probably getting bought by a Brazilian team like Skolko. But really, if you're too good in Argentine league, then someone buys you. So Which is if they can keep the line yeah. of play... Sure, and, mm-hmm. a, and a manager has to know that. A manager knows yeah. he's a good player for a season, two seasons if he's, yeah. if, he, if he's very lucky, and he has to has to adapt accordingly, I guess, and keep yeah. the youngsters coming up through the ranks. You know, basically, I think it all comes down to a good use, you know, a good use system. If you're good a good use system, system you'll you'll be okay. You know, so yeah. generally, generally, yeah. Yeah. and a good chairman too, because the manager, if he's too yeah. good too, then he also right. gets right. Yeah. 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 as yeah. happened yeah. to Martino. Right, and how old was Bertie today? Because Bertie has broken the record that Martino set six months ago for the world's best ever start to a short champion. So yeah, I mean, how how long is he going to be uh, going to be around as well now? If they've got a similar production line of manager, managerial talent than they have of, of youth players, then 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 they could be around for a while. And uh, going back to Arsenal, I think that's something that a lot of people don't recognize about Arsenal. You can say whatever you want about them, but they have a line of play. And mm. we talked about this when the this season started. They've lost. The whole like spinal cord. They lost the central defender. They lost, yeah, Alessandro Lopez. They lost their number five, Ortiz, went to Lanús. They lost their star uh, right uh, midfielder, Carbonero, and also their number nine um, from he went to Mexico, Benedetto. So in order for them to stay playing like like they are, they have us. You know, they know what they're doing. And even if they lose a couple matches, and if it's a shaky start, you know, they're having pressure. For a team like River or even Newell's, if they start losing a few matches, then the atmosphere starts getting heavier, and, you know, there may be even threats by Divarra and everything, whereas in Arsenal it's all chill, and they can stick to the plan, and that's how they There's a continuity, is, it, is that what you're trying to say? Um? There's a continuity. There's a continuity, yeah. yeah Arsenal has been playing how they play yeah. for... At yeah. least four or five years since their Which is something that in Argentina uh, doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, going further afield than football, continuity and, and long-term strategic thinking doesn't really exist here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's interesting. You're yeah. lucky that we've only got about twelve listeners inside Argentina. I mean, as an Arsenal fan, do you see any, do you see anything in this? You know, the conspiracy theories, the referees being bought because of the Grondona family name attached to the club. I mean, do you? Uh, yeah, yeah. As I said before, I mean, I, I know it. I don't know if they're bought, but I know it, there's there's an advantage. There's an extra. There's an extra thing, but a lot of people tend to overlook the continuity, the the style of play. When you look at the match of the Copa Argentina, it was just tactically, it was a rout. I mean, it was 3-0, could have been 4, could have been 5. San Lorenzo had only one shot at goal, and it was, I think, Correa who managed to dribble through three defenders and got a shot on goal. How many times can that, can that happen in a match? And, and they have a very clear idea of what they want to do. Just long balls, you have a tall number 9 who's going to head it down, and that's how, you know, that's how they make things. And in fact, this, this brings up another um, continuity issue now, because let's move away from Niels and away from Arsenal. Um, and start talking about some of the other sides. San Lorenzo, following last week's, uh, last night's uh, defeat, we're, we're recording on Thursday evening. I'm probably going to try and get the podcast up later tonight, I think, because otherwise it's not going to be online before Racing's four o'clock kickoff on a Friday. How many fucking times no, have we had to complain about this no. before the advert notice? Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, 
Pepsi has offered his resignation. So the Rentals Board are, are taking their time to consider it. They'd, they'd be insane to accept it, surely. Yeah. It's one match he's lost. Why on earth does he think he has to step down? It's a cup final. He's got them all the way there. Okay. Two matches. Thanks to a relatively easy draw on San Lorenzo's part, as Mariano acknowledged uh, last time he was on a couple of weeks ago. Um, but, I mean, still, Pizzi's clearly a, a talented manager. He's doing very well with San Lorenzo in the league. I think they're three behind Arsenal, having, having lost um, on Saturday and, and six behind Newell's. Um, why on earth he thinks he needs to resign? But this is the thing with Argentina. It's the short-term thinking. It does. It completely reflects what we were just saying. I mean, I remember the El Grafico, which is the big uh, football magazine here. Their, their last edition was a big was a big feature on San Lorenzo, and it talked about the Pope effect. It talked about uh, Dinelli. It talks about the fact that they've turned it all around, uh, and to just hand in your resignation, it just seems to be a yeah. a shame. Yeah. You can understand the disappointment, of course, but... The return to Boedo as well, potentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things going for the club that's going in the right direction, which pains me to say as, as an Uragan fan, but, um, so this just seems like, yeah, it's a typical Argentine sort of lack of... Yeah, forward. ...vision. Um, we had some other results as well over the weekend. The, the Newell's River and Arsenal San Lorenzo matches were not the only ones that were played. Um... All boys in Colondra nil-nil in a match about which nothing needs to be said because nothing really happened. Um, Atletico Rafaela beat Argentinos Juniors 1-0. Dan, did you catch this one? I, I saw much of it on, on television, yeah. So, uh, Argentinos had a decent start to the season, but they've now lost yeah. three of the last four, is it? And they've been playing well. They've been, they've been playing well and losing. Um, and we were talking about this uh, before we started recording. I put a lot of it down to their crazy manager's lack of composure. As soon as things start to go slightly wrong with Argentinos Juniors, uh, Caruso Lombardi starts ranting and raving yeah. on the touchline, as, he's, as, he, as he often does. For a bit of context, I'm, because I was at the, uh, the Argentinos Belgrano match a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned it on last week's Hand the Pot okay. um, about how it wasn't. It didn't really seem like the kind of match that ended three one to the away team. Mm. It, it was just bizarre. There were two very strange red cards, yeah. one for each side. Um, and you're, you, you can now talk, which I didn't mention quite so much last week, um, about Caruso Lombardi's reaction to the one that Argentina got, which was very unjust. Uh, the the second yellow card actually ended up being no, sure. overturned. He, he, he was rightfully yeah. angry. I mean, you know, no, I think nobody no, nobody disputes that. He had every right to kind of rant and rave, as managers tend to do these days. But he takes it to such an extent. And I, always, I, I think I said last time the worst job in, in world football must be to be the fourth official, you know, standing next to Kurosawa <laughs> Lombardi. Because he does gives them hell non-stop because he can't get at the manager. He was having, to be, himself, he was having so. to be restrained by a man who I assume was his assistant. Yeah, yeah. Well, they always came to, they always came to blows, yeah. yeah. And yeah. melting the referee yeah, they up. Were, it was just hilarious. It almost came to blows, didn't they? So he's almost fighting yeah. his own assistants. So. And then he ended up yeah. having a bizarre, right in front of us, and apparently right in front of where you were in the stand just below us, argument. I mean, again, almost punching each other through the, the chain of his, his own fans. Yeah. Almost, and uh, with an Argentinos fan it was sitting and, behind and him. I agree I think you know, again slightly biased but I think Argentinos juniors that, that on that particular day were the better team they lost it 3-1 in the end and I think after the sendings off they totally lost their composure and they lost their composure because their manager had lost his composure and he was emanating disruption and chaos and you know anger from the touchlines I just think his own players could not concentrate because they, you know their manager was ranting and raving and in the Rafaela game a similar thing happened the referee told him to clear off he was so fed up with him ranting and raving from the touchline he wouldn't go there was four minutes added time when Argentinas could have got an equaliser and they and the referee simply stood there 
you know, stopped his watch, or you know, let his watch carry on, made it perfectly plain he was carrying on with the time, because Caruso Lombardi refused to leave the touchline. And that was three minutes Argentinos Juniors lost when they could you know, potentially have got an equaliser. I think for listeners who, who don't know Lombardi, I think the best way to describe him would be He's one of those characters that a cartoonist would have a lot of fun with, <laughs> wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. Both yeah, physically yeah. and and in his in his actions and reactions. All, yeah. all of our uh, medium to long term listeners certainly will be more than yeah. aware. Of, of I'm the, the I'm the Caruso fan yeah. here, so I, I do have to say that, that he started off the season with a very low average. He mm. bought. Yeah. 18 players? Oh, we were talking after eight rounds about the nosebleed that everybody at Argentinos mm. must have had yeah, yeah, from yeah. the fact that suddenly it looked like they were in a title fight. Okay, yeah. They've fallen away from that, but the fact is, they've still got more points at this stage of the season than they probably expected to have. The problem, of course, is they've got like Cruz doing very well as well, and they're catching them. I think actually, no, they've overtaken them now in the relegation battle, haven't they? Um, they have, yeah. yeah I can't know so. because for some reason. Well, we're still third, we're still third from bottom in the relegation table, like yeah. Adidas Juniors, you know, a few mm-hmm. points away from safety. But Estudiantes tomorrow, you know, was, mm-hmm. uh, Estudiantes will be an interesting game at, you know, Argentinos mm-hmm. Juniors ground. So we'll see. I said they're still playing well. They're, still, they're, they're playing very yeah. well and losing. So I would be much more dis, you know, despondent if we were losing and playing badly. Yeah. So uh, I think if they can maintain that, the luck will turn. Uh, Caruso Lombardi needs to calm down a little bit. He's not in his nature to calm down much, yeah. but. Uh, <laughs> a little bit would be good, you know. Yeah, we'll but see where you, it goes. you do have to give it to him to have oh, yeah, such yeah, a good campaign yeah. with such a low budget. Just yeah, yeah, right. taking these unknown players and right. making it. To and, a, and he's doing that. Yeah, it's the unknown players. He's bringing them through. He's nurturing these unknown players, young players. Yeah. and they're going to be good. They're going to be. It's going to be. You know, they'll sell them. It's money for the club. Uh, and if they stay at the club, then great. You know, you've got a half, a half decent team there. So uh, yeah. yeah, he's got his advantages for sure. You know, so I'm I'm a fan some days and some days not. <laughs> Uh, elsewhere in, in Cordoba, um, Quilmes managed their first away win of the season, one nil away to Belgrano. Estudiantes in La Plata obviously beat Racing because not beating Racing this season is the mark of a really not very good team. Racing now have two points from 11 matches and have equaled, I believe, Argentinos, funnily enough, uh, record of the worst ever start to a short season who managed two points or three points in 96 Clausura, was it? I think it was. So yeah, that was that, that was a, a Racing own goal in the first minute of the second half as well, which just makes it slightly funnier again. Uh, English Dan's not here, but we do always enjoy laughing. Yeah, he's, he's well. blaming it on the buried cat. Isn't he it? is, yeah. There, there's, a, there's a buried cat at a Racing Stadium that's still there, we've not found it yet. Yeah. Uh, have you heard about it? Was it? No, is it, was it a Mufan? It, 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 it was, it was a curse placed, curse, on, right. um, placed on Racing in 1967 when Racing were going through their greatest period. They became the first Argentine team club side or national side ever to be crowned world champions when they beat Celtic. Uh, Celtic in the, the Intercontinental Cup um, and a bunch of Independiente fans broke into Racing Stadium which of course is almost next door to Independiente Stadium and they buried seven dead cats under the pitch black, black cats black cats, black cats. Right. Yes, sorry yeah, seven dead black cats under, I assume they were dead I hope they were uh, <laughs> they certainly were before very long yeah um, and, and uh, this uh, was supposed to place a curse on the club and sure enough Racing didn't win another title until in 2001 a group of Racing fans broke into the stadium with and one of the directors by the way he was there with them but for some reason they had to break in rather than just unlocking the doors with a priest got him to bless the pitch dug up the cats but they, they could only find six of them so they dug, they dug up these six cat skeletons and sure enough that year right. Racing win the league 
they haven't won another one since, and now they're, they're just starting to go, we need to dig up, we need to find the other skeleton and dig it up. <laughs> but it's a context, they won the league, in, as you say, in 2001, but at the time in Argentina, you know, in the, the wider context, was an absolute chaos. And yeah. look, Racing fans would have noticed, you know, football was a little kind of reprieve from the chaos going on elsewhere, yeah. but the country really wasn't paying much attention, you know, they had their other yes, problems of course, outside, yeah. outside of football. Uh, and the manager of that side was Mostazo Merlo, Reynaldo yes. Merlo, um, Mustard Merlo, as, as his, his nickname uh, is in Spanish, um, who is now back with the club. Uh, Australian down if he was still with us. Um, sadly, he's, he's dead to us, uh, having moved back to Australia. Um, would be lamenting this because one of his pet moans, and indeed one of our pet moans on hand of pod ever since he's gone, is, is how clubs in Argentina just continually going towards these same old legendary managers hoping that they're going to have some miraculous effect on their fortunes it's now the second time Racing have done it this season Iskier admittedly was not a former Racing manager but he was a former assistant um, and, and a, a very successful assistant manager at Boca particularly to Carlos Bianchi but he's very much of that kind of old school didn't seem to have a clue he's gone it was replaced for one match by Ignacio Gonzalez, the, the goalkeeping coach who has now left the club altogether because he said, if they don't name me as permanent manager, I'm not going to hang around when the next guy comes. I'm not going to be going back to, to being a goalkeeping coach. Um, and and Melo's come in. So this coming weekend, which is the 12th round of the season, um, Racing will be, will be giving a debut to their fifth manager of the season. Incredible. If we include the two caretakers who are in charge for a game each. I mean, and, and, and they wonder why Bielsa turned them down when they phoned him up because they didn't have a plan it's, it's ridiculous I mean in the, in the relegation standings they're still kind of safe-ish aren't they well at the moment they are but, but this yeah, is something that yeah. English Dan was quite nervous about it last time he came on hand of pod he was saying that they need to butt their ideas up because if not you can see them doing a Banfield Banfield mm. of course won the title in 2009 11 10 10 uh, maybe 11 yeah you might be right uh, no 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 9 10. I think Eight or nine. nine. Okay. And, and they got relegated in 2011. 11. Or 10. One of the two. 11. With the championship still on um, the, the previous. No, 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 wait. They were relegated in 2012. Were they? Yeah. Oh, I was yeah, in New Zealand. It was a year after. So, yeah. Year after, because yeah, because they slumped so quickly. Oh. Precisely, yeah. They, they still had the championship winning season within the three years that counted towards the relegation standing. And since the Promedios come in, um, they're the only team to manage that of course Racing don't have a championship winning season but they do have a very good season last year um, the, the highest points total since that championship winning season 10 years, uh, 30, 12 years sorry ago three goes with that which does not bode well for them you can fall very quickly matches it's not a great average Argentina's won the clausura of 2010 and we know they're mm. in the relegation zone now, so it doesn't take long to slump. A couple of seasons, no. couple of bad seasons, and the, and Argentina's junior seasons haven't been that bad. They've been bad enough to yeah. kind of to sure. sink, but uh, Racing is is yeah, it's almost comical, isn't it? How bad they are. It, 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 it's not almost. If, it, if, it, if, it, if not you, a you can remove the yeah. word almost. Yeah. 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 Um, but anyway, so that, that, that's what's going on with with Racing. The other results uh, were uh, one of the big shocks was Olimpo coming from behind to beat Velasquez two one with a fantastic goal from uh, Ezequiel Cerruti to win it. Um, Boca Juniors and Rosario Central drew one one with El Loco Abreu equalising quite late on in that Rubbish goal. Former River Plate. I mean, okay, admittedly he's former pretty much every everywhere on the planet. Former but, everywhere. Um, former <laughs> River among many others. Uh, striker Abreu, who bizarrely made his first ever Argentine Primera División appearance in a 1-1 draw away at La Bomonera 
uh, against Boca for San Lorenzo in like 1996 or something. Um, so that was some poetic symmetry to that one um, we've mentioned Newell's River already Tigre and Gimnasia drew 1-1 in a ridiculously entertaining match I really was not expecting that match to be anywhere near as good as it turned out to be Gimnasia had to play the second half with 10 men and Monetti we've mentioned him several times this season already but sensational goalkeeping um, throughout the second half to keep it at 1-1 and then Godoy Cruz got their first away win of the season scored their first away goal of the season 7 minutes in against Lanús um, to I don't know whether no it wasn't Lanús' first home defeat of the season because they lost to River a couple of weeks previously um, but Godoy Cruz are now up and running away from home having had a very very good start at home but really struggled to, to do much in away matches um, we're now more than halfway through the season and aside from Newell's who just as I said earlier look head and shoulders above everyone else can we see anyone else really challenging Boca, San Lorenzo and, and uh, Arsenal well, Arsenal uh, chasing maybe. pack but I'm interested in Vélez and how they seem to us, you know, talking about teams that slump, you know, after kind of a two or three good seasons, and Vélez seem to be sinking slowly, but, you know, quite... Uh, well, they're going to win the Copa Sudamericana. So. Are, are they putting all their efforts into the Copa Sudamericana and kind of, they, you know, they, not, not putting attention on the league? Because the league, they're sinking, you know... I've, I've, I've mentioned uh, the conspiracy theories before that they've bought the Copa Sudamericana, <laughs> oh, okay. um, so they're going to win it. Um, but no, it's interesting. No, Garek is talking about respecting his contract mm. and staying until it ends, which is December. Mm. Obviously, that's because he knows he's going to win the Copa Sudamericana if he does yeah. so. Um, <laughs> but he's been he's been linked with the Peru job, which is, is going to be vacant as from December, because mm. Sergio Mancarian has, has said that he doesn't want to, to hang around. Um, and Peru, clearly, wanting to, to, to take advantage of the effect that having an Argentine manager in your national team can do. Uh, three of the four automatic mm. qualifiers from the, South, uh, from the South American World Cup qualifiers have Argentine managers Colombia Argentina of course and uh, Chile yeah. I, fi- I find that very very strange and amusing because uh, we were speaking with a few friends a couple of days before how that would never work in Argentina having a foreign manager so how come like you know it may happen for a team like I don't know, Japan or England, Qatar. England. England. But England, yeah, yeah, nah. that's a strange one. Yeah. But here in Argentina, it would never work. Yeah, nah. Never. A non-Argentina manager managing in Argentina, I think it's never happened before and it, I don't think it will ever happen. I think they will so have well, you've got, well, you've got I, good you managers. Have, um, yeah, sorry. I don't think any of you would have been listening to, to this, but on the very, very, very first ever episode of Hand of Pod, uh, it was a super classical preview. It was almost three years ago. And we had a River Plate fan, Gerardo, who is English Dan's ex-flatmate, because we were recording at English Dan's flat. And um, we were talking about, you know, what do you feel about Maradona as manager? Because, of course, Maradona had just gone. Batista, at the time, was caretaker manager. Hadn't been given the job as, uh, fully. And we said, hey, would you like to see managing Argentina, Gerardo, as an Argentine? And he said, Enzo Francescoli. Francescoli. He's never been a manager. He's never been a manager, and he's Uruguayan. It would have been hilarious, but yeah. uh, unfortunately, it's not happened. But but before Sven Goran Eriksson took over in, in, you know, in, for the England team, I mean, English fans would have said very much the same. Never in a million years would anyone, you know, other than Englishmen, man, manage England uh, until the half decent English managers started to disappear. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we found ourselves without any good managers. And, and Argentina, could, you know, with the likes of Merlo being recycled and recycled yeah. and recycled, you know, there might come a time when Argentina doesn't have good managers. And, and then you have to think about it. I mean, in spite of that, you've still got, say, Subaldia, who for all his faults at the beginning of this yeah. season with Racing 
is only very young, he's still learning. He's Simeone. Simeone, Almeida, arguably, who if he can transfer... I mean, he, he didn't do badly for River this time last year, before, before they let him go. I think before well. Simeone, Bielsa, Bianchi... Well, Martino has Martino. to be. The, the three guys that we've named in charge of Colombia and, and Chile and Argentina, yeah. Savela, um, uh, Peckerman, of course, and San Paoli. San Paoli. Bielsa, who we've already spoken about, the influence that he's had. Yeah. Martino, there are... A lot of a very yeah, talented, yeah. still a lot so, of so you've been young, on Argentina having very good managers. That's oh, yeah. where you've been. Yeah, exactly at the moment. Yeah. So why so why talk about foreigners? You know, there's yeah. no need to at the yeah, moment. Uh, yeah, you're going to sport the choice in a way. You know, so, but when that starts to dry, if that starts to dry up one day, mm-hmm. um, you know, as it did in England, so, mm. uh, it could happen. And it did know, in so. England. We would yeah. have Steve McLaren with a brolly. We're going to take a very short break now, and then we'll come back and we're going to discuss just briefly. Uh, a short prelude to this coming weekend's big classico because it's a big one and it's back after a few years away so don't go away And after that, Santi would like to, to give us an update on the second division, uh, which some of you like, so we'll let him. Um, first of all, of course, though, the reason that we've, that we've invited Jonathan on uh, this, this week, or the reason that I thought to invite him at least at last, because I've been thinking about it and forgetting for, for a long time, um, was his excellent article uh, for the New York Times um, previewing the classical Rosario, you've, you've been up to Rosario to, to write this, Jonathan, right? You weren't just phoning up people from here in Buenos Aires. There was a lot of legwork from Buenos Aires, but I did go up for a whole day to Rosario to speak and meet with various figures from both clubs. And how long ago was it? Fairly recently, I'm assuming. I was there on Friday, yeah. Right. So, uh, is the city already, I know it's a cliche to say it, but already breathing the, the air of the classical? Can you, can you feel it in the air? Actually, no. <laughs> oh, dear. Do you know why? Because Newells were playing River mm-hmm. and Central were playing Boca. So and both teams were pretty focused in those two big games. Sure. But there was a lot of, a lot of sort of mystical literature from Fontana Rosa that gave me, the, gave me the, the material that I needed to talk about what it, was, what it would be like in the build-up to a Clasico without those two big games occurring. Fontana Rosa is, is an Argentine uh, writer and script writer as well. I think I'm right in saying I'm like... Cartoonist. He didn't draw the cartoons, he just wrote the lines. Yeah, right. I didn't realise that. Ah, yeah, he just, wrote, he just drew the lines, yeah. Um, who is, yeah, he's a massive Central fan, as you mentioned in the article, don't you? Yeah, there's a yeah, massive so Fontana Rosa cartoon right next to the Gigante de Rochito Stadium. Yeah, but he's, he's I mean, yeah. he's ridiculously famous in Argentina absolutely. and he's very good I mean if any of you like uh, Spanish literature and it's only short mm. it is very very good it's the first Rosario Clásico that we've had in the Primera or indeed any other division for ooh, three years Central three years yeah. 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 April 2010 was the last Clásico right um We've had, we no the AFA <laughs> have tried to uh, or they the mysterious people who organise friendlies um, have tried to organise a couple of friendlies. Uh, the most recent of which was in January, January, the one that got called off, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, which was called off the day before the match. 
Yeah, it was a riot around the city. I yeah. mean, the, the Newell's fans were yeah. just... It organized two friendlies. The first one, I think it was on the day of the game, was being was to be played in Central Stadium. Right, yeah, they organized two but friendlies the, that were going to be played four days apart. But so. the confrontation with the police actually be, actually happened at Newell Stadium, yeah. which provoked a reaction at Central Stadium anyway. They called it off. Yeah, and the Central fans were there already waiting for the yeah, game to start. Yeah, and then they invaded the pitch mm-hmm. and... and mm-hmm. Abuse the players. Just as we mentioned before on Hand of Pot, this Clásico is um, arguably the most heated in Argentina. Uh, if, if you ask a lot of Argentines who are not fans of River, Boca, or Racing or Independiente, they will tell you that the Clásico Rosarino is, is the one in terms of, of yeah. the, the passion and the noise that it generates. Rosario is an absolutely football mad city. Uh, Jonathan's already spoken or Santi I can't remember who um, already mentioned the, the, the atmosphere at uh, Central being even more insane than the atmosphere at Newell's although of course at Central they use microphones and speakers according to Newell's fans anyway um, the, the Central Stadium is, is where the legendary the Argentina 6 Peru 1 match took place in 1978 which okay was probably rigged um, but also which one of the other uh, points that, that people who write about it make now who were there uh, was that everybody just remembers how, how insanely now the fans were this is a hallmark of, of Rosarino football really which has given so much to the world Bielsa Menotti Messi uh, someone looking forward to it right? Che Guevara indeed yes he was more of a rugby fan yeah, he was a big Rosario was set to support Rosario. So yeah, so I, I, I can sort of clear that up to a certain point. Um, for the story that I wrote, I obviously did quite a lot of investigation, and I was reading a book about Central, and I spoke to a guy who was present at an interview with Granado, Alberto Granado, who travelled with Che on that motorcycle. He, he's journey. the only guy in the motorcycle diaries, basically. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there's an interview with Granados where um, they ask him, you know, about Che, and he said, no, Che was a big Central fan. Yeah, Central. So he confirmed it. Isn't there a picture of him with a Central shirt um, curing the lepers in Bolivia or something? I don't know if I read it in your article. He, or cu- he cured lepers mm-hmm. in um, Peru, in yeah. Peru, yeah. and there's a club publication that sort of delights in that, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure it was in a central oh, show, unfortunately. Okay. I was the, the reason that that's a great mm-hmm. story, obviously, is, is that Newells are known as the lepers because of this supposed friendly that was going to be set up between the two, I think, initially, uh, which Central refused to play in to benefit um, our hospital for, for people with leprosy. And Newell's then ended up reorganising it and playing some other team. And so Newell's now known as the Lepers. This is why Central are known as, as the, the Kanasha, the, 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 the scoundrels. Um, so, yeah, I think they probably they, they dig up this fact that one of their supporters <laughs> actually went and cured Lepers. <laughs> it's a beautiful story. Yeah. It just never gets old, does it? It's, it's fitting, by the way, that we're talking about Che Guevara when uh, German Dan is, is wearing a shirt bought in Cuba. Uh, exactly, yeah, the Industriales, you know, the, the, the Havana baseball team. The, the, the best damn baseball team in Cuba. Oh, yes. Because I've got exactly the same shirt from when I went there. Fine shirt, fine design. I, I don't know about you, but I have no idea whether they're actually any good. They're one of the best, yeah, yeah. So they're certainly one of the best supported teams. They're, you know, they're one of the two Havana baseball teams. So, uh, yeah. Havana, Havana, is, Havana, is, Havana is life in Cuba. Indeed. Right. Yeah. Um, it was my first time in Rosario this weekend and I was very impressed, like you said in your article, by how every single thing that could be possibly painted red or black or blue or and yellow is 
painted. It's like you're just going through <laughs> it, and every every single thing is painted, and it's either the whole block is central or the whole block is nules, and there's a way higher rate of people wearing their shirts, scarves, hats, anything that they can get the central or nules logo or a symbol or the colors or anything really. I was talking uh, about this to a Rosarino friend of mine. She's actually a girl, and she said like. I was like, yeah, I'm impressed by how everyone here, like, seems like every 10 people you see in the street, three or four are how, have either a central or a news badge or something on them. And I was like, that's impressive. Like, do you even, I, I, I bet you have some central stuff. And she's like, oh, yeah, I have a scarf, a hat, two shirts, a, a, a short, and, a, and it's a girl that we're talking about, you know, so really... Rosario is football crazy and it's a and big rivalry. And I think what's attractive about Rosario from, what, from, from my reporting was sort of like, I mean, I'm from Manchester, I know about how a city can be divided by football. Well, uh, I'm bizarre you're not actually a United or a City fan yourself, are you? No, I'm a Bolton fan, but, you know, for my sins. Um, but it's just, it's a city that is divided by football, but with... Uh, there's a sense of like mysticism, a sense of like um, for glory, as they say here, um, which sort of goes beyond football. It's these it's these short stories by Fontana Rosa. It's the murals. It's a whole sense of something that goes beyond football that's, that divides the city, and it's 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 interesting. It sums up the, the Uruguayan writer Eduardo Galeano. Who, in some ways, I've been to both Rosario and to, to Uruguay and Montevideo particularly reminds me in, in, in some ways of that there's a very famous line from Galeano's book Football in Sun and Shadow where he says tell me who you support and I will tell you who you are or, or tell me how you play and I will tell you who you are or something like that and it's you know you can adapt it to anything and it's massively overused as a cliche in Argentine and Uruguayan literature it's a very big book in Argentine literature as well because he actually wrote it here whilst he was in exile from the um, from having spoken out against the, the Uruguayan dictatorship at the time um, and yeah, it reminds me of that, as does this, this business of what you mentioned in the article, painting lampposts and, and street cornerstones on, 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 on the pavements and things. Uh, because you go to Montevideo, obviously Peñarol and Nacional dominate for anybody watching Uruguayan football from outside. But in Montevideo, you can almost tell which suburb you're in and who, which, which club has is, is got the nearest stadium according to the colours that are changing as, you, as you're on the yeah. bus driving on the road, it'll, it'll go from it, you know, Rampler's colours on one block and then suddenly it's Deportivo Español's colours and then suddenly it's, it's another side altogether. Which is really hard to work out in Rosario because as, as you go... Well, it's hard to work out in Montevideo yeah. because most of the yeah. clubs are not Peñarol or Nacional. No, no, no. Who the fuck colours are those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in Rosario, as you get closer and closer to Lionel Messi's house, it's all Rosario Central. Yeah. You know? yeah. And then you get very close to his house and all of a sudden the lampposts change. You know? <laughs> all of a sudden they're black and red. So, and he lives in like, like a, a half a block, you know, which is purely you know, Nuzo in the uh, middle of central territory. It's a very run down area, you know, of the Yeah, yeah, yeah. The wall of Messi's house does have a huge central mural mm. on it. Yeah. 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 yeah, his family, he and his family were deliberately. Yeah, well, so. yeah. He and his family were pure blooded, you know, black and you know, black and red. Mm. Uh, but right, like a little island in the middle of the Rosario Central, which is, you know, so if he were born, you know, kind of a half a block away, he could well have ended up playing for, you know, the Rosario Central youth team. So. Well, yeah. There's a lot of good stories about the Rosario Central too, you know, the 
Abandono story where they were losing for I think it was yeah, four, this, this, four the, the, mm-hmm. the two big stories of like mutual abandon between the fans there was a there was a four nil in nineteen ninety one and a four nil that was to Newells and the four nil to Central in nineteen ninety six seven so seven yeah basically in one it was the Central fans who 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 they were four nil down they all left the stadium the Central fans say it was a confrontation with the police and that's why they left the Newells fans saying no, they left because they abandoned the team in the other game um, it was the players who supposed, and, the, and the managing staff who supposedly abandoned the team yeah because, because they, 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 were four, they were 4 nil down they were down to 7 men they'd made the substitutions yeah. so um, the manager at the time was Anabria and he told whoever the player was, I can't remember who the player was, to, you yeah, know, to fake an injury. Fake an injury and we'll, we'll get this uh, game. Get the game yeah. called off. Yeah. Go players, it's got to be. But, so this is why Newell's have the flag in their stadium saying, La hinchada que nunca abandonó. Yeah. The, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the fan base that never abandons the, the team. Never quit. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Um, we will stop talking about the Classic God Ross Arena now. We've already been recording for, getting on for an hour, I think, by the time I've cut. Santi, you've got... Yeah, when Three I, I went to, to, to tell us what's going on in the lower divisions. Um, yeah, well, basically, Independiente lost to uh, before uh, on the weekend before they they had the match suspended a few hours before against kickoff Union. against Union because there were apparently uh, riots between the Independiente fans who tried to get into the stadium with guns. And now this weekend they've lost to Almirante Brown one 0 in a way. First defeat of the Suddenly the sky's falling in again and they're going to go down and oh god no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. that's how they Well, they, they, they've, done, they, they've been decent yeah. since De Felipe got in. Um, Brindisi was definitely a fluke. Uh, they may have kicked him out earlier than they should. Um, Banfield is uh, leading the second division, which is, uh, I mean, I, I do think that they have the best squad in the second division by far. But still, I mean, Almeida, I think he should be, uh, he should be applauded for his, his skills, both in River and the second division now with Banfield. Even if you have the best squad, the second division, is a, it's a hard tournament. You have very badly kept pitches yeah. where it's very hard to play good football. You have very... You know, strong defenders and on, the, on which no mm-hmm. defensa justicia and crucero del norte second and third. Still. Yeah, we talked about defensa justicia very briefly a few weeks ago when you weren't on. Yeah, Storm, that's something I mean, that them in, yeah. being, them being in the A next season. Hilarious. I I don't think that they'll be in the A. But, I, I hope they will. But, I've been uh, to their stadium. It's not an defensa justicia. Yeah, it's not an A in stadium, Florencia, what is it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's quite small. They're a quite small team. Um, but yeah, there's a couple of big teams in the second division, which makes it shocking that Crucero del Norte, which is a team that has been going on for a, a, about 10 years, that their name is for a bus company that travels from Misiones to Buenos Aires, yeah. Crucero del Norte. And um, Defensa Justicia, who have... also have a bus company. Well, that's what they got the colors. Um, Crucero? No, Defensa Justicia. Seba told us this when he was on, on the podcast, how the reason that they play in, in green and yellow mm-hmm. is because that's the library of the bus company <laughs> that the guy owned who founded Defensa Justicia. <laughs> um, okay, so you have so, yeah, two, we bus have two, teams two bus teams. Whether we can the find a, a bus-related thing to, to mark with Banfield as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think you will, but you can look into it if you want. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it looks to be a very tight second division from now on. Mm. And I think it's quite as interesting as the first division or more. Do you have anything to say about the big classical at the weekend, Sunday? 
the weekend past? Which one? The Cordoba Clásico. The two big teams in Cordoba. Oh, like, I did. Apparently, yeah. the, the two teams who are bigger in Cordoba than Belgrano are. They're both in the second division this season. Tacheres, um, better known for the context, at least for most of our listeners, as the team that Javier Pastore first came through, um, hosted in the Estadio Mario Kempes, um, Instituto, who are fourth, uh, and who I think I'm right in saying are Ossian Dida's old team, right? He's played yeah, for, yeah. for in, in, in a ridiculous match, basically. Did you see how it finished? It was nope. um, it was one 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 nil to Tacheres initially. Instituto got an equaliser with about I think twenty minutes to go if I remember correctly, and then in stoppage time, there were four minutes of stoppage time. I on the second minute of stoppage time, uh, Tacheres guy. I'm afraid I don't know any of the names, but I was watching and he had a shot. It hit the left hand, the right hand post. If you're the goalkeeper, the, the goalkeeper's right hand post. It bounced all the way along the goal line, hit the left hand post, bounced out, got hacked away, throw in. Throwing gets taken. Instituto go up the other end and score the winning goal to, to win 2-1. Having been 1-0 down with, with 22 minutes to play. It was an absolutely insane way to, to end the match. Um, and a Clásico too. And yeah, and a Clásico in front, you know, the Mario Kempes, which as we mentioned earlier in the season, as we mentioned earlier this year, sorry, um, that when, when the last Super Clásico was played prior to the one the other week uh, in La Bombonera in April, um, that same weekend, this uh, Tacheres going up against San Jorge uh, from, from the third division was the most attended match in Argentina that weekend and in South America and, and something like the fourth, fourth or fifth most attended on the planet third um, against Barcelona and Bayern Munich yeah. against Leverkusen yeah so th- this is a, a, a big rivalry and you can imagine what the reaction looked like given that there are no away fans allowed in and that the away team had just scored on a counter attack after the, the home side had and I think it's important to point out we've just spoken about the Rosario Clásico there are other cities in Argentina that are very much the Bayern yeah. football La Plata Santa Fe eh, Córdoba um, yeah, Córdoba is the city where they say football's no big deal you know some people yeah. say that yeah. so you know motorsports are bigger or you know Fair yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> so, um, for yeah, yeah. yeah they had three big teams and they have a fourth Small but not that small team, Racing de Cordoba, so it's not as divided as Rosario against. No, Mario's, Mario Zanabria, who is not from Rosario, but is obviously a big figure there at Newell's, he was, it, was he, it was him that said to me, Yeah, okay, Santa Fe is, is a big classico, but in Rosario it's just different, it's just more stressful, it's, it moves a whole city. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I've heard like routes between. Family members about the Rosario Clásico, you know, fights between friends. It's very intense over there. Indeed. Uh, I'm going to play some music now and we will come back afterwards um, once we've refilled our glasses and we will talk uh, to, we won't talk to anybody, we will answer some of your questions, dear listeners. Before I play said music, unfortunately we've run over sufficiently that uh, German Dan now has to, to say Auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for coming down. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Um, and and we will we'll answer your questions still, listeners, uh, once once Dan's been shown out. Earlier than I normally do. First of all, Sebastian Weiss, Weissbrot 
who is an Argentine living in, in exile in the United States, uh, asks, what do you think about the suspensions at La Bombonera and the Monumental? Um, are they fair or useful? Uh, the first thing that we need to explain here is that River, as I mentioned last week, packed the Monumental with far too many people for the Super Classico. Uh, they were letting in three people on, on one ticket at, at, at points um, in the San Martín Alto and the Belgrano Alto, which are two uh, stands along the side of the pitch. Um, as a result of which they were going to be handed down a suspension, they've been talking about it for a week and a half, everybody was saying they're going to have to play behind closed doors, or they're going to have to play at Veles with fans, or possibly at Veles without fans. Uh, Boca, the weekend just gone, uh, there was a, a stoppage at one point in the match because fireworks started going, up, uh, going off outside the ground, fans started climbing fences, dressed as the ghost of the bee, which we've mentioned before, uh, to, to take the piss out of River for having played in the second division. There was a big chant... Um, the referee had to stop the game until the fans had, had calmed down and during this stoppage the bright spark in charge of the screen which funnily enough Sebastian used to be in charge of before he moved to the stage which is why he's, he's asking about it I suspect um, decided to put up a photograph of Boca Juniors players celebrating in the Monumental following the Super Classico with the legend Decime que se siente tell me how it feels which is the chant that the, the Boca's um, fans came up with tell me how it feels to play in the second division basically um, which obviously was a little bit of a public order issue you for which Boca were also expecting to have to play their next match behind closed doors the punishment, as it's now been handed down, is that River are going to have the what's normally the away end of their stadium, when away fans are allowed in, um, closed, and Boca are going to have the same bit of their stadium closed, and that's it. It's not really much of a punishment at all, is it? But it always happens for Boca and River, they don't really get serious punishment. If it no, was Chacarita, they'd get 20 points down. And yeah. Well, it when it was Chacarita, that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. that's what actually happens mm. to Chacarita all the time. Bombonera and Monumental are not really being suspended, um, and I don't think that is fair at all. But listeners won't be used to favouritism towards River and Barcelona, I don't think yeah. will be. I think they'll, they'll, they'll have heard of it, but yeah, you're right. I mean, they'll, uh, we'd like to think at least that, say, in, in England, um, punishments are, are slightly more normal. Um, Brian asks, do you think Eric Lamela will get into the World Cup squad for Brazil? Ooh. I'm going to say yes. I think he's so getting in the squad, him. not in the starting eleven, but yeah, I yeah, think so. he'll make the squad. Yeah, uh, I, I have a feeling that Sabella is, is is coming round to it, particularly because he's uh, likely to have a little bit more energy in his legs than some of the other players as well, because he's not really, uh, the, at least at the moment, he, he doesn't seem to be starting very much for Spurs. Um, but yeah, I think he will. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure he will. Any, any I think Sabella has it, has it nailed down. I think he he's got at least twenty or twenty players. Phil Carney asks where has it gone wrong for Lanús in this championship despite a solid start they're now in 12th position and 13 points off the top I don't know what to say defence is decent but for some reason they've, they've not managed to score very many if any in the last few matches maybe um, you can pin it on Silva I don't know oh, possibly Silva's a decent player I think he's, he's good number good. 9 He's been injured for the last couple of games, which, which could be crucial. But Lucas Melano stepped up and, and has, has done an alright job, or at least started off the season fairly well. Uh, Lanusa, another side, who, who've got another young, promising, up-and-coming manager in, in Guillermo Barros Um 
And it's a well-run club as well. Precisely, medium to long-term, they're fine, but they just seem to have hit this slump and they can't... And I think you have to remember that with Argentinian football. I mean, just to... I know listeners are obviously in touch with things here, but a broader picture. In 19 games, things can go really well and they can sort of not go that well as well. So you could have a bad season, a a bad 19-game season and come back from it. So maybe it's not as bad as it looks. Mm. Plus... They're kind of distracted by the Copa Sudamericana as well, um, which they will be playing River in uh, two weeks' time, I think it is, the first leg, I'm not sure, um, in the quarterfinal. So, you know, they're, they're prioritising that, clearly. Um, Andrew Gibney, who is based in France, and thus asks us, Svidanic for the 2014 World Cup, and if not, why not? Santi's shaking his head. Yeah, because there's... I mean, he's good, but there's... Because he's Argentine. Way, way too much... Better players yeah. for the list. Icardi, of course, got uh, a very short run out towards the end of the Uruguay game, as we said he would do uh, on hand of pod last week to tie him to Argentina for the future, but he's probably not going to be in the World Cup squad and he's in fantastic form. Um, I think the forwards are pretty set. You have if, Messi, if striker, you, have Ur- you have Aguero, Iguain, yeah. you have um, Lavezzi, Palacio, yeah. and Maxi Rodriguez. How many more if, forwards do you need? If you're for a forward player and you're Argentine, and you want to go to next year's World Cup yeah. you've got to be yeah, try and get into the ruffle right? good. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's uh, obviously the reasons that Carlos Tevez for instance is getting left out are not entirely to do with his footballing ability or his mm-hmm. club form um, but the fact is that this is a, a national side that can actually afford to just say to Carlos Tevez ok you don't get on with certain members yeah. of the squad you're not coming to the World Cup with us Argentina can afford to do this pretty much nobody else on the planet would do that hmm. Uh, but Argentina can, so Svitanic isn't getting in for that reason. Basically, he's he's not good, good as good as Carlos. Not, not as good. Um, exactly. We're not saying he's not good, but we are saying that he's not um, Gonzalo Higuain or, or Sergio Aguero or, or Di Maria or Higuain or Messi. Or Messi. Um, uh, Sebastian Weisbrot has got a couple more questions. First of all, he says, "What do you think about the level of Argentine refereeing? Are they good, or how would you compare them with European referees?" I think it's very. It's it's going through a very bad moment right now. Very, you've, you 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 you're getting a couple controversial, more than a couple controversial decisions every weekend. It's going through Most a very bad moment. <laughs> yeah, it's around the end in other in other pitches as well. The referees that we have are mostly young. You can expect them to be better off in a couple of years' time, but right now you've got a lot of um, referees who just. Directed in the second or third division one year or two years ago. I mean, I've seen a couple of referees directing against, against, okay, directing in defensores de Belgrano matches, and then one year or, or, or maybe even less after that, they're going on a first division or an important match. Mm. I think it's a bit of a transition. Press, the pressure is huge here, though. I mean, as so, is yeah. in any country, but you know, Delfino, like, the, the amount of things that get said about Delfino, like, mm-hmm. it's a lot of pressure. Yeah, and it's tough it when, when you go into a game with that level of, of media attention it's very difficult one of the points I always make when we get questions about the referees is, is uh, what uh, Horacio Elizondo um, told me when I interviewed him in April which is going to be published in the, the upcoming uh, issue of the Blizzard um, one, of, one of the points that he made was that there are a lot of very promising referees who are coming through at the moment there's a, there's a gap in there's age gap. in Argentine refereeing almost like there is in Argentine football in the league where you have this donut effect where there's nothing in the middle because if you're good enough and you're in your mid-twenties let's say as a player you've gone to Europe or to Mexico or to Brazil um, so they're, they're very old guys they're very young guys and the guys who are 
in between those age-wise are, are the ones who are not as good. Um, with the referees, it's almost obviously they're not going off to Europe, but you've got some of these, some yeah. of these older guys followed by a bunch of, of much younger referees. And Eddie Sondor, um said to me when I, when I was interviewing him that he thinks that Argentine referees are going to be among the, the best at the Russia 2018 World Cup, maybe the, the 2022 World Cup, wherever it ends up being played. Although they're probably going to be a bit too young for, for say, Brazil next year. Eddie Sondor, of course, in case you're wondering where you know the name, is, is the referee who sent off. Uh, Zinedine Zidane at the end of the 2006 um, World Cup final. It's a, there's, a, there's a funny story about Elizondo when he oh. managed his first match after the World Cup final. He got cheered on by Lanús fans uh, when he came on the stadium. I mean, he was directing on the World Cup final, so it was obviously a big thing for Argentine refereeing. So he got you know a bit of a cheer and clapping, which is a big thing for I'd a be, referee. I'd you know? be surprised and if then, Howard Webb got that. The 2010 final in England, <laughs> and then um, five minutes after that, he gives uh, he gives a free kick against Lanús, and they're insulting him again. <laughs> yeah, it lasted for about five minutes. Recognition yeah. lasted for about five minutes. Um, Sebastian also asks, "What do you think about the World Cup seeding? Netherlands, Italy, France are not first seeds. Netherlands will be if Uruguay fail to qualify, of course." Um, but that's highly unlikely given that Uruguay yeah. got a playoff with Jordan. Jordan. No disrespect meant to any Jordanian um, listeners that we might have. Uh, will there be any disparity in the quality of the groups? I was about to say I this about when, when you asked me about my expectations about the World Cup, I was about to, to talk about this point. I, I don't think there will because you've got, I mean, the, the top seeds that they're being replaced for by effectively, uh, okay, Argentina would have been top seed regardless of where the World Cup was being played anyway because they, they have a very high ranking. But Colombia are going to be among the top seeds. Um, Uruguay, of course, if they get through. So you've got two South American nations, and but it is it is, it is an advantage to be playing in, in the home continent. And two of the the top seeds who are replacing these sides are going to be South American, and, and they're going to be challenging. Colombia, particularly, are, are going to be a very dangerous side. I don't think they're going to win it, but they're going to be interesting. Um, what I think could cause more of a Belgium. disparity in, in quality of one group is more more than anything the fact that Chile aren't going to be top seeds um, because Chile are dangerous. Yeah. They're going to get closed Agreed. down a lot more than they have in South America, and the defence, if you can get at it, is is susceptible, um, as they showed in the second half against Colombia last Friday, particularly when they were three 0 up at half time and ended up drawing three um, three. They, they will concede goals, but the amount of attacking talent they've got and the amount of time they spend attacking under São Paulo, um, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. Yep, and I think they were. In, I, I was following Chile closely last World Cup, and they were just they played well in the groups, and they were really lucky to come up against Brazil. It was at the second round or the quarterfinals. Yeah, I think it was the second round. Um, just you know, under Bielsa, uh, good team had a good chance of progressing through to maybe the semi-finals. Here in Argentina, there's a belief that a lot of South American teams and also Argentina falls into this category. They do very well before the World Cup and then in the World Cup you get this historical teams like Italy, Italy aren't, aren't going to be a top seed on the um, on the World Cup, who actually turn out playing better than they should have Well everybody, when you, you know famously mm-hmm. Italy when they won in 2006 yeah, the 2005-06 season where Italian football had just been gutted yeah. by Calciopoli and, and by all the rest of it and they weren't given a chance and Yeah, and they, they won it when you win So yeah, first, I would be Whereas I'm going to be very disadvantage once again of everybody saying, "Oh, they're third favourites behind Spain and Germany, basically." Yeah, which has definitely got something to do with the fact that immediately after the Uruguay game, Sabella 
went on television and said, the three favourites are Spain, Germany, okay, we all know this already, what's he going to say now? Brazil. Hmm. I mean, whether he actually believes that, I don't necessarily think he does, but hmm. he's saying it clearly to take the pressure off Argentina. Yeah. In terms of group quality, um, I think it's going to be as high as ever. Yeah, yeah. Have one group. It's going to be dangerous. It's always going to be Argentina. one group of death, isn't it? Precisely. Yeah, it's going to be dangerous. 2006, what we have, mm-hmm. had England, Nigeria, Argentina, and Sweden, was it? That was in 2002. 2002, mm. was that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, yeah, yeah, in, in Japaria. <laughs> Carl Walswick, who is based in Bogota, asks us there are rumours in Colombia suggesting that Balanta. Eder Alvarez Valanta could be snatched from Peckerman and made Argentine citizen. Is this likely? Uh, these rumours have actually cropped up in Argentina as well, but I don't think that it's going to happen. Valanta hasn't said anything about it at all. He's not said he wants to play for Argentina. Um, I, I, I think he'll be fine. I, I don't think he's going to get called up. He's, he's eligible for Argentine citizenship because Argentine citizenship laws are extremely... Um, Generous, basically. Yes, but you have to what, what was the last time that you've seen a non-Argentinian playing getting Argentinian citizenship and playing for the Argentinian team? Well, I don't think I've seen he, it. Iwain could be, but I mean, he was no, just Iwain born. In, he he was born in France, precisely. Yeah, but um, but he's Argentine. I mean, he, he was Argentine yeah, throughout his upbringing. Um, no, I, I, what something just basically that's that's my answer. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I think Balanza, if he were to play for Argentina, could be excellent for them. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. He he doesn't appear to want it to happen himself, in spite of all these yeah. rumours that are flying around. And there is a lot of pressure from Argentinian public and media to to do it. In fact, this is the first time that I've heard about this mm. rumours. So, uh, finally, Chris Hartley asks: Do you feel Argentina have a balanced enough squad to make a run at next year's World Cup? Santi, you're the Argentine. Balanced enough. Yeah, that's the main thing, isn't it? I mean, obviously I think, we have a I think amazing, the best offense in the world, probably, but our defense is pretty average, to say, yeah. to say the least. But the defense in the field is strong. The number five is a strong position for you. And the manager is phenomenally good. Um, I, I'd say in terms of the makeup of the squad, maybe not, but I think that Savella has got the, the nous to add that little bit extra that they need in. And I would say very much, as we said about uh, Colombia a few minutes ago, Argentina are capable of getting to the semi-final, certainly, which, as we mentioned much earlier, would be considered a success for them. But once you're in the semi-final, any one of those four sides can yeah. can win it. You're, you're only two games, possibly, you know, potentially even two draws, followed by yeah, a few yeah. penalties. Um, when you're a big team as well, I mean, if you're a smaller team like I don't know Sweden back in '94 or, or Bulgaria or Uruguay in the last World Cup, and you're getting to the semi-finals, then you can probably say, okay. This is good, but if you're Argentina, you're in the semi-finals. You're you're going to want to win it. And I respect. If, if Uruguay I re- reached the semi-final next year, I think we're going to see some very very nervous Brazilians. Given <laughs> the last time the World Cup was played in Brazil, it's going to be yeah, fun. it's true. Particularly if Brazil aren't there. I respect your point about um, Savela being a good manager, but I think, um, and I made this point around three hours ago. It feels like pragmatism wins out. Mm. Um, Bielsa, as we spoke about, is a great coach. Maybe didn't win that much. But remember 2002, we, uh, England played Argentina. Argentina played beautiful football that whole game. But the pragmatic team won the game 1-0. That was England. But yeah. Sabella is much more pragmatic. Well, even though Verón apparently no, sold himself that game. But yes, he still gets chanting about it today. Being called pirate or Englishman. Mm. I mean, I've, we've definitely seen more teams in, in the World Cup being pragmatic and winning it than being 
outrageously good in offense and then and then win it. We've, we we have a lot of examples of teams that are very good in offense that have, have played like high quality football and they get they get disqualified. And they like obviously Netherlands in '74 is the biggest example, but you can make a million of those. Argentina probably had the best team in '94 as well, and then you know what happened to them. And in 2002, as you said, we were also 2006. How many times we had the, the best possible offense, and you said, "Okay, this team definitely can match up to the best European teams in terms of offense." And then you you get a hard match, and the defense just yeah. doesn't get it. But it's probably also unfair to brand Germany as a pragmatic team when they're also yeah. actually a very good footballing team. Um, we've been recording for an extremely long time, for which I apologise. Don't worry, listeners, because you've only got a few more seconds to go. And if you're, uh, if you have a very low idiocy tolerance threshold, then you can probably afford to just press stop now and stop listening, because the next thing that you'll hear after this very brief musical interlude are Mystic Sam's predictions for what's going to happen this weekend. Mystic Sam um, is predicting this week, guys. If you disagree with any of these, then just note in your head and afterwards okay. I will ask you. Um, but here are my predictions for this week. There you go. Quilmes versus Atletico Rafaela to be a draw. Argentinos Juniors against Estudiantes de la Plata is also going to be a draw. I'm going for quite a few draws this week, so it's hard to call. Uh, Racing versus Vélez Sarsfield. I don't think I really need to tell you what I'm predicting for that one. Gimnasia versus Olimpo is going to be a win for the home side Colón against Lanús draw San Lorenzo against All Boys I I made this prediction before um, the injury that Gonzalo Verón picked up uh, last night in the the Copa Argentina final but I have gone for a San Lorenzo win Tigre against Arsenal de Sarandí I think is going to be a draw Central against Newells I'll leave until last because it's the big one River against Belgrano draw Godoy Cruz against Boca. Draw. Because neither of them ever concede any goals. At all. And, and the classical Rosarino is going to be a Newell's Old Boys win. Ooh. For the away it's been team. a draw forever. Well, the draw, is, draw. the draw is always the easy thing to call with the classical because you think this team should win it, but they're not going to because it's a classical. Um, it's always hardly fought. But, but I mean, and badly played. On the basis of form alone. Okay, Central got a very good point away, and a fully deserved point, even though uh, Abreu's equaliser was, was late in the game, um, away to Boca. And terrible. But, I mean, the form that Newells are in. I think I got asked, I was on a Rosario radio station just a few hours ago, and they asked me for a result, and I said, look, Newells are the best team in the league, they play the best football, but Central are going to fill their stadium with 40,000 Central fans and they've been waiting for this for three years they've been waiting for it more than Newell's mm. and that could just you know the 12th man the cliche 12th man could just tip it in their favour a draw it's going I'd to be say very a draw. interesting I'd say a draw because the Rosario Clásico is always as I said hardly fought badly played and drawn I, I should point out that as, as many of our listeners if, if you bother to, to read my previews that go up on Hong Kong Jockey Club website uh, prior to the matches as you will see when, when you read it, what I'm actually recommending betting on, if there is a market for it, is that the game won't finish. 
Um, but because I have to predict, as the, as the headline prediction, I always have to predict home win, away win, draw. I'm going for the away win um, okay. in this one. But as I say, the more likely result is that it's not going to last 90 minutes and that they'll have to play the last 20 on Wednesday behind closed doors or something like that. Uh, do we have any final words to add, gentlemen? Arce campeón Capo del Sur. That's what I'm saying. I'll let Spanish speakers explain. Okay, so Arce, champ- Arce is a champion and it's the best team in the south of... Buenos Aires better than in the beginning before in the beginning better than Racing who are shit we're the best team in the last 10 years of South of Buenos Aires so and you're above Lanús so in the league even now as well so. huh? and you're above Lanús in the league as yeah, well yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So. Uh, Jonathan final word for me is that if you do look at my Twitter and you see that I'm a Bielcista it's because I like his philosophy and not because I'm a New Orleans fan uh, and there, there is no final word for me apart from um, goodbye so goodbye from from John goodbye and thank you very much for coming on uh, for your first time hopefully not the last but we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, it we might not take quite as long to record next time you're on fingers crossed goodbye from Santi bye thanks for having me and congratulations on your first hosting of Hand of Pod in your new pad um, and goodbye from me goodbye <laughs>